Well, what a great joy to be here. Uh, what an exciting day to be with you. Uh, when I first uh, planned on coming, I had no idea it was going to be the 11th anniversary, but I am so excited about being here on this uh, occasion. Some of you may remember I was here six years ago with you when you were over in the theater, and I, uh, I'm just blown away. I'm so excited, so thrilled, uh, praising God for what He has done here uh, over these many years, and uh, God has blessed in a great way. Um, I love Pastor Larry and Don. I've not known them as long, long but uh, they're precious people. I love them, and I've known uh, Pastor Michael and Tammy for a number of years, and before they had kids and saw their kids born, and I'm just excited to see what God has done through their ministry here, and um, our church back home is always praying, always praying for this church. You don't even realize it. They're praying for our uh, missionaries here and praying for uh, uh, you folk. Um, every week goes by, we're praying that God would bless and praying for this special day too. And it's a good day. Thank the Lord for it, that he's given us this opportunity. It reminds me of a story, and I'll show you how I'll relate it, but it's a story of a general and a private and, and the army they got on a train over in Europe, and uh, when they got on the train, also an older lady and her beautiful niece got on the same train and sat across from these military men. Well, while they were traveling, all of a sudden they went through a tunnel, and everything went pitch black. And uh, when that happened, uh, you c all you could do is just hear things because you can't see a thing, but you heard a loud kiss, and after the kiss, you heard a slap. And then when they came out of the tunnel, everybody's sitting in their places that they were sitting before. But the aunt thought, one of those military guys kissed my niece, and she just slapped the fire out of them. You know, that's what the aunt thought. And the niece thought, one of those military guys kissed me, and my aunt slapped her. That's what she thought. And the general thought, that private kissed the young woman, and she thought it was me, and so she slapped me. And uh, then the private thought, man, what a day when you can kiss a beautiful young woman and in the same day slap a general. <laughs> and so this is a special day, you know, like it was for that young private. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm glad that I could be here and be a part of this. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you, um, Pastor Michael, Pastor Larry for uh, letting me do this, and uh, what, a, what a grand time. We enjoyed our first service, and uh, enjoyed beautiful music. First service, second service, it's been great. And um, thank you all you that prepared the good food. Oh man, I'll tell you what, I had to sample the cupcakes yesterday, and they were really good. And uh, y'all have done a wonderful job. Well, since I was here, you all know that we've um, faced a very difficult time in our world. Pandemic came. We all faced a, a lot of serious things in our lives, and uh, you know, I'm glad to see that uh, many of you have been faithful. It was a trying time for a lot of people, and during that dreadful time, uh, I would say I've observed there, and I'm sure you have here, there have been a lot of people that have lost hope uh, during that time. I hope that's not true with you. Uh, take it not because you're here today. But I love what the former congresswoman and U.S. Ambassador uh, Claire Booth Luce once said. 
There are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. And that's a very good statement. You know, I read the story about, uh, and I like this guy's positive attitude, but I read the story about a man that was sentenced to death many hundreds of years ago, and he, re- he obtained a reprieve by assuring the king that he would teach his majesty's horse how to fly. And that's the only way he stayed alive. And uh, the king was going to let him live another year to see if he could teach the horse how to fly. And, of course, if he didn't succeed after a year, he would die. But someone asked him about his uh, perspective about this whole thing. And he said, and I like this, he said, Well, within a year, the king may die, or I may die, or the horse may die. (laughs) And he said, Furthermore, in a year, who knows, maybe the horse will learn how to fly. (laughs) So, you know, as we face these trying times, I'm just here to tell you today, my message is, I'm so thankful that we can build our hope on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we build it on. Hope says that God has a plan and he's working it out in our lives. Hope says that if you trust and never doubt, God will surely bring you out. He's going to take care of you. Hope says the Lord is going to make a way somehow. Hope says that it's not over until God says it's over. Hope says that we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. Hope says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Hope says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither have entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So in other words, I'm telling you, on this 11th anniversary, the best is yet to come. Isn't that exciting? Is a yet to come. You've got more exciting things in the days to come. We minister to a world full of people that are without hope. You know, disappointment, and we've all been there. Disappointment, desertion, divorce, discouragement, disease, defeat, deception, death. Oh, we've had so many people, and there are so many people that are in the state of hopelessness. In the galleries of the Philadelphia's Academy of Fine Arts, you'll find the statue of a queen who sits among the ruins slumped slightly to one side, as you can see in the picture there. Her elbow rests on the uh, arm of her throne, and her gaze is turned downward in a resolute frown. Her features there reveal that she has endured some great suffering. Maybe some grief too great for words, perhaps even for tears. But though the crown of her head gives her uh, a regal air, she is despondent. The queen who answers to this description is carved into the stone there by William Westmore's story. This is the man who made the, the statue there. The inscription at the base of this woman's throne identifies her as Jerusalem in her desolation. That's what it is, Jerusalem in her desolation. The statue there by William Story is a representation of Jerusalem. You see, it is in Jerusalem that it barely survived the tragic events that are described in the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. She'd already experienced all the indignities and the indecencies 
of the Babylonian assault that came upon them. And then after a long siege, we find that the city crumbles and it falls to a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar in 587 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar deports Jerusalem's citizens to Babylon. And it's hard to see, but I want to point it out to you, and I don't know if you can see it on just a small screen, but down on the left, you'll notice Story's statue that there's a very small serpent that is slithering near the queen's feet. That serpent represents, it stands for sin, showing that Jerusalem's desolation was the result of um, God's people in disobedience. You see, some of the Hebrews may have blamed Nebuchadnezzar for all the hardship and the hard times that they're going through, the destruction and the death. But hear me, friend, when I tell you, and if you read the Bible, you understand they brought it on themselves. That's the reason why they are where they are. The book of Lamentations, if you would turn there, I'm going to be reading from chapter 3 in a few moments. But it, it, this book of Lamentations, it's not so much a sequel to, to Jeremiah. However, it is, a, it is one of remorse. The book's melancholy, uh, sorrowful tone is very apparent in the words of Jeremiah. As we begin reading in that very first verse of the chapter, it says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. And so Jeremiah knows that God is behind all the hardship and, uh, and that because of this, it has caused him to lose hope. Have you ever been there? You ever been in that situation where you just lose hope? You know, maybe you were, you were near that. Uh, many people have faced that in recent days. You'll find on down in verse 16, and it says, And he also, Jeremiah talking about the Lord, He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I have said my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. So the perspective here of Jeremiah is like a lot of Christians. And that is, he has the perspective of negativity. He's, a, he's negative about these things. And hear me today, Christian, when I tell you that um, negativity is a thief. It will steal you from your, your happiness. And many Christians have been destroyed because of the one thing of negativity. They're negative in their life. Someone said, hear this statement now. A bad attitude is like a flat tire. You, can go, you can't go anywhere until you change it. And that's absolutely true. I believe that. You know, it's just like a bad, uh, bad tire. Where are you going to go with a bad tire? So perspective changes when people get their minds on God. Um, that's an important key today. Warren Wiersbe wrote this. He's a great Bible teacher from America many uh, days gone by. He's written many books. He said, um, unbelief causes us to look at God through our circumstances, and this creates hopelessness. But faith enables us to look at our circumstances through the reality of God, and this gives us hope when we look to the Lord. And that's exactly what happened to Jeremiah here. His attitude all, all of a sudden changed from despair to hope. You'll find that in verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. 
when he recalled all the good things of the Lord, I have hope. And so Jeremiah's circumstances had not changed, but he changed. Hear that. The circumstances haven't changed, but he changed. In the midst of his lamentations, Jeremiah's hope was renewed when he stopped focusing on his circumstances and he started focusing on God. That's when it all happened. The simple message of lamentations, get it loud and clear today, because God is God, there is hope even in the, uh, in the most hopeless situation. Our God's real. And I, I'll tell you what, there have been times I've just shaken my head and said, oh my goodness, my God's a God of miracles, of things I never believed that could happen have happened. And I thank God for that. Lamentations 3, Jeremiah remembers three truths I'm going to give to you today. First of all, build your hope on God's significance. You see, David saw God's significance when he said, O Lord our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Jeremiah also recognized the significance of God. After being rejected and hated and mocked and imprisoned, and after seeing beloved Jerusalem defaced, defaced and desecrated and destroyed, Jeremiah stands in the midst of the rubble of the city, looking around even at the, uh, the bodies of dead people, and yet he is still able to lift his voice and praise the God for his great unfailing faithfulness to his people. Well, how is this possible? How could he do this? Despite his trials and his troubles, Jeremiah had developed a good grasp on the significance of his great God. That's how he could do it. And he explains this. He explains the significant greatness of God. First of all, the Lord's loving mercies in verse 22. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. You see, God's love, God's infinite mercy is unchanging and dependable. It is something we can count on even when everything else is falling apart. We can count on that. The word mercies is translated loving kindness, which you'll find recorded over 30 times in the Old Testament. And it's a very expressive word that conveys the ideas of love and grace and mercy and faithfulness and goodness and devotion. All these words it, it, it conjures up. But this word pictures God as the divine lover of men. And is he not? He is. He's the lover of men. God demonstrated his love toward us. For God so loved the world. All these different verses that we know that represent our God. And so Jeremiah seems to be remembering that in spite of Israel's failures and wanderings from God, that he serves a loving God who is always present, who is always faithful in every circumstance and every situation of life. He always is. You can count on it. You can bank on it. He always is. And my friend, I'm here to tell you today, we owe it all to the loving mercies of God that we're not consumed. God hasn't already destroyed us. Why? Because he's merciful. Why? Because he loves us. I love the old song, O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. It's our song. 
We're going to sing it for all eternity when we get into heaven. We're going to be thankful for the mercy and the love of God. And our hope is built on the loving mercies of God. And that will be our song for all eternity. So God's significant is displayed in his loving mercies. But not only that, the Lord's lasting mercies. And it goes on to say in verse 22, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Now I don't know about you. But it's a great comfort to me to know uh, that there has never been a time in my life that God did not love me. Isn't that a comfort? And I'm, I'm talking about not only me, but not only you. And uh, not only that, I will tell you, there will never, ever be a time that God does not love us. Ever. That ought to be encouraging to us today. The significance of God's love is that it is steadfast and that it never changes and that it never ceases. That's our God. That's, our, that's His love. And this may take some faith on our part when we are facing a time of, uh, of trial or if we're in the throes of, of, of grief. But God's loving mercy is always with us. And just as the sun comes up in the morning, and even though there may be a thick layer of clouds blocking our view, hear me when I tell you that our God is watching over us with His loving and lasting mercies. That's our God. During World War II, during the Allied um, forces liberated Cologne, they found an inscription on the wall of the cellar that had been written there by some Jews that were hiding from Nazi soldiers. And this is what it said. I believe in the sun even when it is not shining. I believe in love when I cannot feel it. And I believe in God even when He is silent. What a wonderful thing to write. And I'm humbled today to know through the, mer the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. That ought to move us today. My hope is built on God's significance. Second of all, Build your hope on God's steadfastness. No matter how bad things are, God is good all the time. And He is. And all the time, God is good. And His mercies never come to an end. Because of His steadfastness, He continues to hold back that which what we really deserve. But my friend, thank God He always gives us another chance. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm thankful for that. And He gives me another chance. I love Micah chapter 7, verse 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and, and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. Will you cast all your sins into the depths of the sea? That's, that's awesome. That God would do that. That he's that type of God. Look at it. God is always faithful. We'll find in verse 23. They are new every morning. Talking about God's mercies. Verse 22. Jeremiah looks back and he remembers his past experiences. He remembers the goodness of God. He remembers God's mercy, mercies. And then in verse 23. He looks forward with confidence in the continual experience of God's goodness today and tomorrow because they are new every morning 
Do you hear me? They are new every morning. The faithfulness of God's compassionate mercy are new every morning. And as the children of Israel wandered through the wilderness for 40 years, God provided manna for them to eat every day. You remember the story, if you know your, uh, the Old Testament very well, that they were not allowed to pick um, uh, the manna for tomorrow or for the future. They were not allowed to do that. And if they tried, you know that it spoiled. And so they were to trust God for their daily bread. That's what they trusted Him for. And every day, God faithfully, every day, next day, provided for what they needed for that day. God did that for them. And you know what? That's how God works in our lives. Every day, God gives us what we need. You might not have everything you want, you know, and I, hey, I thank God for that because that can get you in trouble. Did you know that? Uh, I remember hearing my dad tell one time, my dad was a pastor too, and my dad told that he had met this beautiful woman and he begged God, please let me marry her, you know, and, uh, you know, and of course it didn't work out. He married my mom. He got the prize, you know, and, uh, but he said he saw that woman years later and he said, oh, I thank God he didn't answer my prayer, you know, <laughs> and so uh, be careful what, what you pray and want, you know, God gives us our needs. And uh, so each new day presents another opportunity to experience God's extravagant benevolence. Verse 23 says, God's love and mercy are new every morning. Do you see the paradox here? On one hand, it's new, but on the other hand, it's every morning. So the novel experience of God's favor, it, it is a constant experience. What else in the world can you count on every morning? I ask you that question. It's a valid question. It's an important question. And the answer to it is nothing. I'm telling you, there are no guarantees in life. Our health, our strength, our family, our job, our money, our possessions can be gone by the time the sun comes up in the morning. Is that not true? I'm not telling you the truth. We've known that happen to people. We've had that happen to us. And so if we wake up in the morning, we can count on new mercies, my friend, to face our new times, our new days. And maybe our new mess. Who knows? God has mercy in order to help us. And this is the reason why that anxiety is so evil. Because I will tell you, worry borrows sorrow from tomorrow is what it does. It ignores what God has already done for us. And it questions the faithfulness of God on the, on the basis of something that hasn't even happened yet. And so why would we have anxiety with these things. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 and 34 says, Jesus said, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Then it goes on to say, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So don't worry about tomorrow. Let God take care of that. I like the way G.K. Chesterton said it. Hope means expectancy when things are otherwise hopeless. So we put our hope and our trust in the Lord. God's good servants, uh, they uh, don't, don't see things as a hopeless situation. They don't worry about tomorrow. Why? Because we trust God for fresh grace and mercy in the morning. Second of all, God is abundantly faithful. 
Verse 23, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah was not content to preach about goodness to others. My friend, he had to stop and shout about it himself. He's so excited about it that he says, great God is you. Great God, your, your faithfulness is awesome. And when I think about the goodness of God to me, and when I think about the faithfulness of God to me, my friend, I can't help but do a little bit of shout myself. I get excited sometimes just riding down the road by myself. You know, get to think about how good God's been to me. And I'm thinking, Lord, I'm, you're so good more than what I ever deserve or what I've ever imagined could ever be. Just to get to be here on the other side of the world and see people that have come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Church has been established here and growing and starting other churches. My friend, I, I'll just tell you, that's so exciting to me that I'll, I'll leave here from this town uh, driving off in the car and saying, God, you are so good. You're, yeah, man, what an exciting thing. And when I get home back into America and uh, to the free estate in uh, America and Florida, uh, thank God for our good governor there. But when I get there, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to sit down and think about, you know what, God, you're such a good God. You allowed me to go over and see the blessings of the Lord in this wonderful place in Australia and how God is blessed. Thank God for that. And it says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 and 21, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask and think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now I don't know about you, but I'm going to build my hope on the steadfastness of God. And uh, when we wake up in the morning, I'm just so thankful for another breath to breathe that i can breathe the air be around people that i love i'm just overwhelmed by the faithfulness of my god because his compassions fail not then we find third of all build your hope on god's sufficiency now as jeremiah reflects upon the significance of god and the steadfastness of god he goes on to tell the wonderful sufficiency of god we find, first of all, God is a sufficient satisfier. Verse 24, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. Now that word portion, it refers to a, a uh, personal inheritance, uh, an acquired possession, um, a great endowment. And Jeremiah is saying here, in the battle of life, God is my reward. He's my share. He's my portion. Now, God may not give us everything that we want in life, but He always gives to us that which is best. That's a good God that we have. He gives to us that which is best, and He also gives to us the thing that will satisfy the soul. Truth of the matter is, Christian, only Jesus will satisfy your soul. Only he can take your life and make it whole. He's the only one that can give you true peace and happiness and joy and all those things. Only Jesus. You see, it was David's great desire to build a temple. And who better than he to do so? Because hadn't he literally written the book of worship? 
You look at his life and all of what he did. Didn't he rescue the Ark of the Covenant? And he wanted to build the temple. And the temple would have been his swan song, his, his signature deed in the end of his life. And David had expected to dedicate his, finally, his final years to building a shrine for his God. But God, God didn't allow it. But God didn't let him do it because he was a man of war. And David's bloodthirsty temperament had caused him the privilege of being able to build the temple. And all he could do is say, well, I had intended to do that, and I had made preparations, but God. God didn't let him. God didn't let him do that. And you know, there are others who have uttered uh, similar words. Maybe some of you here. God had different plans than what you had planned, you know. And uh, often that is that way in our life. I will tell you that I had fully planned and believed that my wife, Denise, last six years ago when I was here, she was here with me. Uh, healthiest person I knew, but God took her home after 41 years of marriage. And I had planned that she and I would finish our days of ministry together. And we had intentions. We had preparations. But God, it was God that stepped in. God saw fit to take her home. And you know, what do we do with the but God moments in our life? What do we do with those moments? When God interrupts our, what we think, good plans, and, and how do we to respond? And to be honest with you, I have watched people face difficulty. As a pastor, I've been a pastor for 42 years now, and I've watched people face difficulty. And some people respond well with it, and others don't, resp don't respond well at all. How did David respond to God uh, uh, not allowing him to build the temple? Well, this is an important thing. He followed the but God with yet God, is what he followed it with. It says in First Chronicles 28, However, the Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen Judah to be the ruler. And of the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he has pleased with me to make me king over all Israel. What is he saying? He's saying, who am I to complain? Who am I to complain? He looks at his life. I've gone from a runt to royalty. I have gone from herding sheep to leading armies. I have gone from sleeping in the pasture to living in the palace. That's what's happened with me. And David would tell us, when you have given, uh, and I, I think that it's important that we, we grasp that, when you're given an ice cream sundae, you don't complain about a missing cherry on the top. Or maybe the nuts or something that weren't there. You don't complain about that. God's been too good. He's been too good to all of us. And sure, David was disappointed that he didn't get to build a temple. But the sufficiency of God satisfied his soul. His but God turned into yet God. And I join with a satisfied David today in saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He's a good God. 
And not only is our God a sufficient satisfier, but God is a sufficient Savior. Look with me in verse 26. It is good that one should both hope and wait patiently for the salvation of the Lord. And if it was true for Jeremiah in his lamentations, how much more is it is true for those of us who have the rest of the story? We know all what took place. We know all about it. We're ministering in a world, we understand, of, that is full of hopeless people. In reality, you're ministering in this side of the world. I'm ministering on the other side of the world, full of hopeless people. They're much like the Samaritan woman that we find in John chapter 4. She had made wrong choices. She had been with several men, but repeatedly failed. She, had unful- she was unfulfilled. And I'm sure she probably felt trapped in life. She was isolated from her community. But I'm glad I can tell you, but God. Jesus came on the scene, and things were different. Her life was changed, you know. And I say to you today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is a day that will come if you'll put your faith and trust in God that God will take your old life and make all things new, and you'll be a new creature in Christ. But God, Jesus is the one that can change our lives. For you that are here that have put your faith and trust in Christ, you rejoice in that day. But God, He came into your life. He saved your soul. He gave you something worth living for. I have something worth living for today, and that is Jesus Christ. We're all facing our own battles and difficulties, and we're just pilgrims in this world that are passing through. But we need to be reminded once again, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. God, Great is your faithfulness. He's faithful to all of us. Years ago, some parents took their children to see Snow White when it ran in the movie theaters. And they got towards the end of one of the showings. And, uh, you know, but they went in anyway. They went into the theater there. And the part that was uh, showing where Snow White ate the apple. Uh, have y'all seen the movie? <laughs> I don't know that I've seen it all the way through, but I know that she ate the apple. You know, I know about that. I've got grandkids. You know, I hear about it. And uh, then they watched the rest of the movie, and uh, then they watched the beginning up until that part of which they had already seen. And so the, the dad told the children real quietly, he said, okay, kids, we've seen this part, so we're going to go ahead and get up and leave. So they're getting up and leaving. And the youngest daughter keeps on looking back at the screen. And, uh, you know, just before they went out of the theater, and pretty much everybody in the theater can hear her say it, the young daughter speaks up rather loudly, and she says, if she eats that apple again, she deserves whatever she gets. (laughs) Kids will just say it, won't they? (laughs) And you know what? I'm telling you today, if we build our hope and we build our lives and our ministries on anything other than God's hope of giving significance, God's hope of sustaining steadfastness, God's hope of supplying sufficiency, then we deserve what we get. 
But I'm so glad that God is so merciful and he wants to save us. He wants to give us uh, a life worth living. Only Jesus will satisfy your soul. Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? I'm so glad that even though we're all sinners, the Bible says all of us are, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God demonstrates his love toward us, toward us when Jesus died for us on the cross of Calvary for us. And it says that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you don't know Jesus Christ, very simple. God loves you. God will forgive you of your sins if you'll call upon him and receive him as your Savior. He's sufficient, my friend. He loves you. He'll give you eternal life. Just come to him and call upon him. Christians, let's live for God. I might not see you again. Let's live for God until God takes us to glory. And when we get there, we'll all rejoice together. And it'll be a great time. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Heavenly Father, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for this beautiful day, Lord, that we can come and praise your name for your goodness. And uh, Lord, I'm so thankful that you are um, a wonderful God, a loving God, a caring God, a merciful God. And because of that, I was able to come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And God, I pray that if there would be anybody here today that's never put their faith and trust in you, the Lord, that they would understand what Jesus did for them when he came and died for them on the cross of Calvary. No one else could come and die for our sins. He was the perfect one. He died for us, and not only did that take place, but he rose from the grave. He lives forever today. He's the only one, Lord, that's ever come back from the grave, died for our sins, came back from the grave. He is our Savior today, and we rejoice in that. And God, I, he's my Savior, and I pray that he would be everybody's Savior here today. And as Christians and people, Lord, we face a lot of difficulties. Our world's gone through a difficult time. We're still facing difficult times. And as a result of that, a lot of people seem to be hopeless. It seems like a hopeless situation for them. They've lost hope, but not God's people. Because we have a land beyond the blue that we're going to go to one of these days. A place of perfect happiness and peace and joy, no sin, no sorrow, no death. And I look forward to that day. But I'm only, I'm, Lord, I know that I'm going there because I know you. And uh, we rejoice. So I pray that Christians would rejoice in this fact and put our faith and trust in you. Depend upon you because your mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Bless now in the lives of these people, Lord, in this church in the days to come. Uh, Pastor Michael, Pastor Larry, all those that are working here to build uh, your work to reach people for Christ. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.